Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I've been joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gur. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hard-eyed Brexit here and true blue conservative, whereas I'm with Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking the following questions. Is the Lib Dems new policy to revoke Article 50 undemocratic? How would you describe Jeremy Corbyn's leadership so far? And finally, will you stop donating to the RNLI now? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on, at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked you, if you could change one decision you've made in the past, what would it be? And as always, you guys have been sending in lots and lots of opinions. But our first opinion comes in from Charlie. And they say, I would change the choice of secondary school I went to for year seven and year eight. I finally moved school last year, but those first two years were so bad. My parents paid loads and loads of money to send me to private school, and I hated it from the first day there to the last. It was so competitive, and everyone was so different to me. I'm finally in a normal school now, and I've made amazing friends, but I regret going to private school and missing out on not knowing the people who are now my friends for longer than I have. Well, Callum, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a a really interesting uh, kind of perspective and, and what, a big regret is um and obviously you know i think for, from what i hear although i've never experienced private school myself it is a very different culture to the more state-led system mm-hmm. um so it's not entirely surprising that charlie and i presume i'm making a presumption that you in primary school weren't in private school um and so it's not entirely surprising that coming from that background, Charlie has struggled to kind of adapt to that to that very different culture um, mm. that there is. Um, the the other the kind of playing sort of a devil's advocate, I suppose, in terms of this, and maybe the kind of arguments Charlie's parents made in in why he should go private school, or, or rather why it might have been a beneficial experience, even if moving schools is the right decision. Um, I think, A, it makes him more appreciative of the friends he's got now, which evidently is the case, judging by what Charlie is saying here. Um, but the other benefit, I think, is it, it's, it's just another situation. Puts you out your comfort zone, will ultimately build up your confidence long term. Uh, and so later in life, it might mean that you're a more, confident person because you've had to face more kind of hardship as it were so as much as um i understand or regret that charlie has um i'd 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 say um possibly you might end up not regretting it so much just to kind of show a more positive angle on this as well what do you think george yeah i think um you know i can't talk from experience about being at private school because i didn't go to one but um i think it must definitely be a, a quite a big culture thing if uh, if as you said we make the presumption that you didn't go to a private primary school um but obviously you know your parents had your reasons why they wanted to send you there and, and also why you 
kind of made the decision to go there as well. There was obviously there was some element of it that you kind of liked or your parents liked and they thought it was best for you. Um, but but as as Cannon said, if we look at the situation now, you've been able to get out of that school. Um, you've now got some incredibly amazing friends. Um, and, you know, also at the end of the day, not everyone can say they've been to private school and, and you can now. Um, so there are no matter what situation you are faced with in your life. I think it might be hard at the time, but always try and look back on it in a positive way to see what you've learned from it. Um, because I've always got the strong belief that everything happens for a reason and you've got to take from from the situations that you possibly regret um, as learning curves. Absolutely. Moving on to our next opinion, it's from Rosen, Roisin. Uh, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I've definitely pronounced one of them wrong. Uh, <laughs> this will probably sound unimportant, but it is something I really regret. I love to travel and I love culture and everything, but I never had the chance to travel overseas. <clears throat> Last year, I was offered a free trip to Germany with my school and I ended up cancelling moments before the trip. Before because I discovered that I was deathly afraid of aeroplanes. Now, it feels even more ridiculous, because, like, how would I really know until I've done it? But anyway, it's an experience I will always wish that I had. George, what do you think of that? Well, I I think most young people nowadays, um, if they don't take the opportunity to go travelling, regret not going travelling. There are definitely times in my life when I was younger when I had the opportunity to go travelling that I probably now think I should have taken the opportunity to do it um but obviously didn't um but but you know I I think you've got your whole life ahead of you and there's nothing to say that you can't go to Germany again I mean yes it probably won't be free um but even still you're going to have the opportunity still to go to Germany and experience the culture um that Germany brings because um as far as I'm aware Germany is quite an incredible place to go to with a lot of heritage and history um so and you know if you are afraid of airplanes and you get on an airplane you find that you're very incredibly quite frightened either um take a sleeping tablet so you just sleep through the whole flight or get off and drive I mean it'll take a lot longer but you can drive there but Callum as um you've said previously on the show you were once you once once wanted to be um a traveler Christopher Columbus was he a traveler Christopher Columbus yeah I mean he was a colonial traveler yeah yeah there you go so you wanted to be the Christopher Columbus of um was a radio uh well that's certainly one way of putting it for sure <laughs> yeah um but yeah no as george says you know if you've got a touch of the uh aviophobia i, I did have to look that up i must oh, say God. <laughs> uh, but if you've got a touch of that and there is you know as you as you say george there's other options there driving or if you're not old enough to drive there's also interrailing which a lot of people do and to get in the train essentially um and even i suppose there's the option of getting the ferry across to france and then um getting the train across to germany then or or driving a taxi a very expensive taxi driving if you want to but but my point is that even if you are or you do have a flight phobia it doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the world um so maybe regretting not going on that free trip to Germany um you don't essentially need to regret because although as George said you might not necessarily get to go to for free another time but hopefully you'll get to go 
another time either flying, you know, trying to face that fear head on, or uh, there's nothing kind of bad to say, I am scared of flying, therefore I'm going to get on the train or, or some of the other options that I've described. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, just just not just don't get a taxi. Um, so the the last opinion that we've had in this uh, this evening is from Ethan, and they say, I know this isn't the answer to your question, but I wouldn't change any decision, even the things that have negatively impacted my life, because although there's been a lot of bad moments, they have all taught me valuable lessons. Well, Callum, if you could summarise this whole question, I think Ethan's done it for us. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the uh, the principle by which everyone should be op- operating. And it's really healthy to see that you've got that attitude, Ethan. Um, I, I, I won't lie, it's definitely not an attitude that I have a lot of time. I spend half my life regretting things. Um, but, you know, I, I should try and take a page from uh, Ethan's book for certain. I mean, I, I think it's it's a case where we, we have in our lives, we make certain decisions and it's very easy to look back on hindsight and say, oh, God, I wish I did this. But at the end of the day, no matter what decisions everyone makes, it's the it's who um, those decisions have made you who you are today. Um, and, yeah. you know, they have taught you valuable lessons. They've taught you um, all different kinds of things. And if you had made just one different decision five years ago or a year ago you might not be the person you are today so it can be very easy to look back on situations and say oh darn i wish i'd picked the right lottery numbers um but at the same time i think regret is quite an easy thing to do but you just don't allow it to happen and as i said earlier in, in the show everything happens for a reason and um we've got to learn from our mistakes as they were and and we we all become better people and stronger people when we come out of the other side of them yeah yeah it always um kind of reminds me of that friends episode where they um where they changed uh, uh, one decision that all the characters have made in their yes. life for yeah. a couple of episodes and you see how different their lives turned out because of it and not necessarily in a positive way so don't hang on to those regrets kids <laughs> <laughs> not to be patronizing <laughs> Um, right, so remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But it is now time for the first song break of this evening. So we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So right then, time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking, is the Lib Dems' new policy to revoke Article 50 undemocratic? So recently, the Liberal Democrats passed a new policy, which essentially means that should the party win a majority at the next general election, they would revoke Article 50, the clause which notifies our intention to leave the European Union. If the party should fail to win a majority, they would use a referendum with Remain on the ballot paper as their EU policy. Many Brexiteers, and some Remainers too, are outraged at this policy, terming it a betrayal of democracy. George, where do you stand on this? Do you believe the Liberal Democrats' new policy is undemocratic? I think we've seen some quite... uh 
a lot of angry people around this and i and i and i've been watching some people who i would never think to actually be in the same side as um as kind of the brexiteers and how angry they are i mean people like caroline lucas called out um the lib dems on being anti-democratic over this approach on brexit yeah. um emily thornbury uh, another labor uh, member of parliament who's a very big remainer um she also was calling out how undemocratic it is of um the liberal democrats and if anyone watched uh question time uh last week on thursday when uh poor old ed davies was on there and he got absolutely slaughtered bless him um by a lot of angry people um I think it's obviously an approach that the Liberal Democrats have had a look and thought, Do you know what, this is a way that we can win votes and it's what we believe in and we think it's the way we can stop Brexit. Now, the idea of it saying that it's undemocratic and that it's unliberal and everything, I think is a little bit maybe harsh, to, to say the least. I, I do see the points of, of those people saying how undemocratic it is because I think it's wrong for a party just to say we're going to abolish a um a um a referendum result but the argument against that is that they would only do it if they won a general election which you could argue is a um democratic mandate but then you get into that whole situation of what's more important a referendum or a general election and what one should be respected more um i mean i think there would be utter outrage if Article 50 was just revoked, um, even if the Lib Dems did get into power. I think that the, the British people, uh, not a majority, but there would be a lot of British people that would be incredibly angry with what would be going on. Um, so I wouldn't so much say that their new policy is undemocratic. It's just slightly undemocratic. <laughs> <laughs> Callum, if you were there, if you were at the conference, would you have held up your little voting slip to vote to have this on your uh, ballot paper? Because I was always at the um, the knowledge that you were a staunch referendum holder. Uh, I mean, it's a difficult one. I'd have liked to have seen the conference debate. I haven't had a chance to catch up on that, I must admit. Um, it, instinctively, I, I am of the opinion um that i i probably would vote in favor of this um because as you say george yes i i have in the past and still am in favor of a referendum and that would be my ideal scenario as it were um but a we have got that still in this policy uh, because i mean pigs will fly before the lib dems win a majority in government so basically <laughs> what we're saying is Nothing much has changed, but if by some miracle we do make it um, to become the biggest party in Parliament, then we take that and, and we'll be clear about that. We would take that as a mandate to revoke Article 50 and just cancel this whole process altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so there's that in terms of the, the referendum is still there on the ballot paper anyway. Um, and, and also, I just feel like we're, this might be the only way the Brexit is stopped, as it were. Um, because the, the way things are going, I, I still can, in a sense, envision a hard Brexit because the EU will get fed up of constant, uh, extensions. Although, having said that, 
um, I have kind of seen murmurs of the fact that there's this new um, deal on the the Irish border, yep. um, which may well have a majority uh, in the House of Commons. It, it would yep. appear that it, it might have a, a majority in the House of Commons. I'd like to actually see what whether this new kind of uh, silver bullet, as it were, does come to light. Mm. Um, but at the moment, um, you know, possibly we could be seeing some kind of deal get through. So, so, so who knows? But, but I feel like personally, um, given the fact that Lib Dems won't win a majority anyway, it's good to be clear about the fact that if we did, this is what we do so that there is no confusion. And I think for, for someone like Caroline Lucas to, to come out massively in criticism of it strikes me as very odd. And truthfully, I think it's a little bit of um, regret, might not be quite be the right word, bitterness maybe, um, of the fact that the Liberal Democrats have come to this policy before the Green Party have done, uh, mm. which incidentally we did for the second referendum as well. Uh, <laughs> so so, so I, I have to ask, um, do you find it quite... Uh, two questions. One, that the fact that Joseph Winston is saying that she um, can't believe that, it w- that this referendum was called in the first place when she was one yeah. of the, the founding people to, to call for it yeah. um, anyway. And two, do you find it hard? Do you feel like you're being let down by your party? Because from quite a probably few outsiders of the party, it just seems like the Lib Dems are now, they might as well change their name to the Remain party instead of, um, you know, they, they are the kind of the opposition to the Brexit party. And do you think they should potentially change their name? Because to me, it is quite currently being quite um, one issue party. And it seems that they're accepting anyone under the sun that believes just in that one issue. Huh. Uh I'd take the first question. Um, so in terms of Jo Swinson and obviously her uh, criticism of the referendum being called um, and the fact that in the past she had spoken out in favour of referendum. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely accept the hypocrisy in that. Um, the, the one thing I would say is, and possibly it was what Joe was alluding to, is the fact that probably when, when Liberal Democrats were envisioning a referendum, we we envisioned that the Leave campaign would campaign with a, a, a clear kind of outcome in mind, whereas what we what we saw was we didn't see a proper kind of a white paper like what we saw in the Scottish referendum um, outlining the plan for leaving the European Union. We saw some calling for a Norway-style um, deal. A lot yeah. of the people who now are calling for a no-deal Brexit, we did see some other kind of arrangements that people wanted. You know, there was Canada-style deal um, thrown around and, and all sorts of other kinds of deals. So I think the criticism which Joe Swinson would be better making um, is the fact that the referendum went ahead without a kind of clear, uh, kind of constitutional obligation for the Leave campaign and both campaigns to clearly outline what it was that they were proposing because the kind of remain leave um, terms were so loose and could be interpreted in such ways um, 
that really we needed to see that proper white paper outlining what the plan was. In terms of should the Liberal Democrats change their name to become the Remain Party or something to that effect, um, I can see why to the outside the Liberal Democrats do seem to be coming kind of one issue. And as you know, George, and as many of our listeners will know, I've, I've had massive problems in terms of um, what, uh, in terms of who we've allowed into the party. Um, because it does seem that to our leadership in many senses, stopping Brexit is the only goal worth scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that it, having seen some of our conference coverage, having been to past conferences, having read our previous manifestos and new policy documents and things like that, we are far more than just a single issue party. Um, so at conference this week, we've uh, agreed to trial, or, or at least to propose to trial, um, some basic income or uh, yeah, universal basic income projects there. Uh, so that's one policy that is, you know, got very very little to do with Brexit really. Mm. Um, um, I mean, I think I, I think just to kind of uh be on the side of your argument as well is that i think unfortunately we see so many media outlets now you know that that um policy of of getting um universal income that was what you said isn't it yes yeah yeah. um that was hardly given any airtime in the news and whatsoever and that awareness around that is is hardly anything and i think unfortunately the media nowadays is so obsessed with brexit and remaining that we hardly hear about any of these policies you know with the conservative conference coming up we've got some new policies that will be announced um and i bet we won't even hear of them we'll just hear probably about how well the deal is doing or isn't doing um and how badly johnson's speech goes so you know it will be (laughs) that's all we'll hear about we won't hear about anything else and i think that is so unfortunate in today's society especially political world is that we just it is just constant brexit um and it is it is a shame i mean have you uh have you heard the news that apparently there's there's a couple of uh labor mps that are now looking to uh join the liberal democrats the um for example the canterbury mp um can't remember her name but her surname is duffield and rosie duffield is looking to join the liberal democrats okay yes um, I had heard rumours about this back, uh, like last week when we we were kind of talking about um because there were obviously was the defection that happened mm. um of um Sam Gim Gimaya or yeah I yeah. I can't quite pronounce it correctly but you you understand the point and um, there was talk of Rosie Duffield being that person then and um, when it was like a mystery who was going to defect and. I, I've heard rumours about the fact that Labour MPs are going to join in, and I'd, I'd say the same as what I said to, to all of them, which is we need to have a look and see whether or not um, they truly are Liberals or, or Social Democrats. I, I would suspect a lot of them are Social Democrats at least, um, because they're a member of the Labour Party. Um, but one final thing I'd say, just in defence of uh, Joe Swinson's role in this, uh, I do think uh, in terms of in letting in MPs who maybe aren't liberals or social democrats, I'd say ultimately the, the responsibility for that lies with the chief whip, which is Alistair Carmichael, uh, because he's the one who's been interviewing the candidates to see whether or not they're liberal democrats and seeing their voting history and all of that. 
Right then, uh, time to move on to a song break. Uh, but remember to vote on this poll. Is the Liberal Democrats' new policy to revoke Article 50 undemocratic? You can do that with a radio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before we ask the question, is the Lib Dems' new policy to revoke Article 50 undemocratic? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at Wiz Radio. Okay, so let's move on to our third discussion of this evening. We're asking the question, how would you describe Jeremy Corbyn's leadership so far? So... The man who became the leader of the opposition in 2015. He's a man who's been through an EU referendum and campaigned for Remain and lost. He's been through one general election and lost. He has he has seen um, three conservative prime ministers come and go. Well, we've still got one left. Um, and he's faced fast vast criticism for um, his terrorism sympathetic ways and also his anti-Semitic views of his own party as well. Um, and also a lot has have criticised him for taking the party to the far left. But you've got to give it to him. He is still in the position of the leader of the opposition and he has voted down the government more times than any other opposition um, party leader. So from the following options, how would you guys describe Mr. Corbyn? Determined and principled, anti-Semitic and weak, average, caring and honest, or other. But, but before we ask you, lovely people, Callum, how would you describe the uh, leader of the opposition? This is quite a difficult one, I, I think, um, because obviously I, I feel like you can't avoid the anti-Semitism allegations that have been made not necessarily personally against Corbyn, although there has been a bit of that, but also mm. the kind of culture which his leadership has allowed to develop or at least allowed to kind of grow a lot more. Mm. Um, and so, as I say, you, you can't really ignore that. However, I don't know if I'd necessarily describe Jeremy Corbyn's leadership itself as weak. Um you know, yes, he they haven't won <laughs> many public votes that they've been involved in under his leadership. Um, but you have to remember that in the 2017 general election, Labour were expected to be absolutely obliterated. And, and none of the polls really were picking up on the fact that actually they were doing a lot better, or at least mm. they were encouraging a lot of young people who don't necessarily... Um, like to vote um, yeah. to get out and vote for him yeah. um, and you know he has stood firm against kind of some actions from within his own party but outside his party as well that probably would have um, crippled another Labour leader and would have meant they had to resign um, so, so I do think as much as I'm tempted towards the anti-Semitic and weak, I just don't know if I can really fairly describe Jeremy Corbyn's leadership as weak. Um, having said that, uh, it's <laughs> definitely not been average, um, for sure. You know, I mean, 
it, it's been, I mean, I guess it's a mark of the kind of crazy times we're living in, but there's nothing about what's happened to Jeremy Corbyn having to face a, a no-confidence vote and having to be re-elected as Labour leader and, and all of this. There's nothing about that that's average at all. Um, determined and principled, in a sense, I, I'm, I am, in, in a sense, leaning towards that just because of the fact that being principled isn't necessarily always the best thing in the world. And I know that sounds terrible to say in a way, but I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of complete stubbornness um, and just always sticking dogmatically um, yeah. to, your, to your beliefs. And, and I think that that almost could be sum up what's gone wrong in many ways with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, the fact that he's yeah, stuck so dogmatically to a very hard left way of thinking. Um, it's also meant that um, with the anti-Semitism allegations and whatnot, because he's so wired to be um, with the um, Stop the War movement and, and so wired to um, be very, very pro-Palestine and anti-Israeli, let's be frank, Um those kind of principles have meant that he's been open to these allegations of anti-Semitism, and I don't think they're completely unfounded a lot of the time. Um, and you can't deny the fact he's determined, because that has been one of the things that has meant he's survived all of the hardship that he's survived. So I think, kind of on balance, I would suggest determined and principled, but not necessarily in the positive way that at first sight that appears to be. What do you think, George? I mean, um, I think probably anyone would expect me to go for the anti-Semitic and, and weak option. But and I, and I do um, very much dislike Jeremy Corbyn, and I, <laughs> I, I I genuinely fear what he would do to this country if he got in um, as prime minister. But luckily, the Lib Dems are now second in the polls. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, I can't stand here, even someone who doesn't agree with him whatsoever and thinks he. He's a bitter man. Um, I can't say that he uh, his his leadership can be described as weak um, because, as Callum has rightly just outlined, the criticism and the challenges that he has faced from certain MPs has been absolutely immense. And he is still in that position four years later um, when he was first elected. And that is something, you know, most if we look at Ed Miliband, for example, I, if he lost one general election and he was out, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn hasn't had that same approach. And Jeremy Corbyn has got a lot of backing from the momentum side of the party. Um, and because of that, that is also why he stayed. But he has definitely not been weak. And his leadership might, if you maybe say... Uh, if we look at results, then yeah, maybe you might say it is weak. But I think in terms of him personally, you cannot describe him as weak. I mean, this man is is in his seventies, for goodness' sake. He, he I, I don't know how he does it in his seventies. To be honest with you, I think um, he he does very well for a man in the seventies. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I think yes, maybe if there was just anti-Semitic there by itself, I might be favoured for it, but. Ultimately, I don't believe you can describe the whole of his leadership career as just anti-Semitic because it it has always lingered around there and there will always be the um, impressions around it. 
and it's always a very worrying thing and a lot of Jewish people in this country that uh, are quite frightened if Jeremy Corbyn becomes prime minister but I don't believe it's just him solely in the party that's done it. I think there are a lot of other people that have done it. And also just because he's the leader of the party, he has shred quite a lot of the blame for it. And I mean, you might argue quite rightly so, but there you go. Um, Caring and honest. I don't even want to go there. I don't think he's been very caring or, or, or that honest as it is. Um, I think his honesty levels haven't been too high on 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 his um agenda because i i don't believe that when it comes to the eu referendum you know this is a man that has always argued to get out of the eu and now he's going against his own beliefs and 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 saying that they should argue for remain um so i think but but saying that as well um as callum argued with his principles this is why labor are in the mess that they are in because he is so principled in, in what his beliefs are, and that's why it's so hard for Labour to come up with an agreement and an actual policy on Brexit and a policy on certain things as well. And there are so many Labour MPs that don't actually support the current leader, but are so afraid of challenging him because they would get kicked out of the party that they don't even want to say anything about it. And I think that's maybe part of his leadership is that people of his own party and outside of his party are afraid of him because he has got such a power behind him, not just in his, in himself as an individual, but in himself from momentum and that far left side of the party where they have really put him onto this platform and really, really do believe in him. You know, to them, it's like the second coming. It's like he's Jesus, Um, you know, as his initials are JC. It is quite scary. But but overall, I I do think that I'm going to have to agree with my um, my opponent here, the leader of my opposition, Mr. Callum Gurr. and say that there is definitely the the best way to describe his leadership is by his determination and his being principled in in his stubbornness and i think when we look at the description of determination and principled a lot of people would say yeah but that's a good thing that that means it's a good thing but just look at the state of the labor party currently today and i think you would easily argue that it's not a good thing at all yeah um right so who do you think's got what who what do you think's going to come out and talk Callum? um i i think possibly we've we've argued well so determined and principled what do you think george um i i don't know i i actually think it's going to be anti-semitic and weak because um i think people because it's anonymous voting i think people won't worry about how they vote um yeah. or you might have the more labor supporters who say that it's been uh determined and principled but for different reasons to what we've been saying yes yeah right okay so remember to vote on the question how would you describe jeremy corbyn's leadership so far and remember the options are determined and principled the one you should vote for um anti-semitic and weak average caring and honest or other and you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back before you know it Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, how would you describe Jeremy Corbyn's leadership? And you can find out the results of that question on our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. 
Right then, time to move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening. And we are asking, will you stop donating to the RNLI now? So the Royal National Lifeboat Institution came under fire this week for spending millions of pounds on projects in foreign countries, including buying bikinis for Muslim women in Africa, whilst slashing more than 100 jobs in the UK. Donations are being spent on swimsuits for devout Muslim women in Tanzania and on funding crashes in Bangladesh, which the RNRI claims helps to prevent drownings overseas. But George, as a former UKIP supporter and obviously a a current uh, Brexiteer Tory, where do you stand on this? Does this... um, Funding of activity overseas make you more inclined to stop donating to the RNLI? Absolutely not. I think the reports that are coming from certain people saying that they are outraged to discover that the RNLI aren't spending um, their money that they've raised in just this country is absolutely appalling because I, I, I'm sorry, but, you know, charity are there to help people and it's not about where these charities help people as long as they help people um and you know if the rnli have got the the studies have got the evidence to say that what they are doing abroad is helping save lives then what is the problem i don't see the problem in it at all i mean i i am a campaigner for rnli i go out and and stand on the side of the road sometimes with a little pot asking people to put money in um and i i i don't yes the rnli is one of the country's richest charities and as it's the richest richest charities what is wrong with that spending that money that they have on foreign causes that will help save lives and as much as callum um said that i was a ex-ukipper and everything you know my my beliefs in UKIP were never to were to stop immigration or anything. Really, it was my my opinions were just to leave the EU. Um, but but I I am um, look if someone needs if someone needs help, then give it to them. At the end of the day, I don't care whether um, it's from our pocket or someone else's pocket. We need to help people that are in need, and that's the end of the argument, really. But what are your thoughts, Callum? Oh well, I completely agree with you there, George. So, oh my um, word. Well done. Uh, and shot. I don't think I could have uh, put that last bit better uh, myself. Uh, and I think one thing to, to do in this discussion is to kind of put this in a, in a little bit of context as well, um, which maybe some of the, the reports that have been running uh, about this, um, this kind of scandal or, or what is perceived to be a scandal, um, they, they've kind of omitted a lot of the context around this. And, and that's the, Currently, the RNI spends less than 2% of its total expenditure on this international drowning prevention activity. Uh, and, and as you say, George, it, even if it were more of a percent, I suppose, it, if it's helping to save lives, who, who are we really to, to be getting up in arms about it? Uh, I mean, I can slightly understands the fact that um, an immediate inspection, obviously some jobs have been lost here in the UK, um, but I'm, un- I believe it's unlikely that if we didn't, or, or rather if the RNLI 
didn't spend this money abroad, that these jobs would have been saved. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, that's a, a kind of illogical argument to make. Um, so, so I think ultimately we, there's no reason really to stop donating to the RNLI. And, and I am pleased to kind of report the fact that um, we've seen over recent days actually a surge in support for the RNLI yeah. Um, yeah. For, from people and a surge in donations, which obviously is, is amazing to see. And it does show the fact that people, you know, that they're happy enough with um, what's happening, really. And as you say, George, it's about saving like, people's lives, ultimately. No, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the underlying facts. And, and when this news first broke um, and I saw people being outraged by this, I, did, I could not believe the, the arguments that people were having. And I think ultimately, I know this is going a little bit off topic, but ultimately that is the problem with people debating in this country or having an opinion is that they never, ever read the full facts. They never they see one headline and that's it. It blows up and they're like on Twitter, they're ranting and all of that. Yeah. When it's like, actually, hang on a minute, do a bit of research, look at what they're, they're actually doing and then have an opinion on it. Don't just react to something that you first look at. Um, and I think throughout this whole three or two years how long were we doing this radio show Callum two and a half years yeah yeah two and and a bit years um the biggest message that Callum and I have always tried to get across is that look even if you want to debate something always read the arguments that are against your own so you get a full picture of the situation before you come to your own conclusions yeah yeah and I think um newspapers and publications do bear a certain responsibility for that um, in kind of playing to their basis or possibly creating their basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. As well. mm. Right then, uh, we've reached time for the final song break of this evening, but don't forget to vote on this poll. Will you stop donating to the RNLI now? Uh, you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked the question, will you stop donating to the RNLI now? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at Radio. Right then, we've actually reached the time to end this evening's show, so thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cuppinger. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. So as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question... What would you do if you won thirty million pounds? You can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter that's at wizardradio. Remember, the question is, what would you do if you won thirty million pounds? Just imagine it. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I have been the RNLI loving George Lawrence Cup. And I've also been the RNLI loving calendar. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. Bye.